At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 430th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is helping urban farmers grow food in other people's yards. We're talking with Lee Perry about fleet farming. Lee is currently the fleet farming director, which is her passion occupation. She has her bachelor's degree in environmental science from the University of Central Florida. Seasonally, she teaches children at an ecology camp at the Ed Yarborough Geneva Wilderness Area and was on the board of the Couplet Fern Native Plant Society. Fleet farming has a mission to empower all generations to grow food to increase local food accessibility. Their program minimizes the ecological footprint of agriculture by converting lawns into micro farms and increasing fresh produce accessibility, all while training the next generation of American farmers. To Lee, fleet farming is a true solution to shift our culture and change the food cycle. Welcome to the show today, Lee. Are you ready to rock fleet farming? Yeah, woo! Excellent. I love your reaction. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure thing. You know, I started in school learning about climate change, learning about the devastation that our agriculture industry has played in the role here in our country and learning that the average plate of food travels 1,500 miles from farm to plate. And Crazy, that's right? Really really crazy to me. So, you know, I did all of these awesome internships and I worked with kids in an ecological space, but I really wanted to find a way to get in front of the average consumer because I felt that if I could make somebody care who otherwise wouldn't have cared and just relied on the convenience of going to a local grocery store, making them aware was my passion. And fleet farming was a perfect conduit of that for me. Wow. So in your bio, you use the term, your passion occupation. Tell me about that. That's a, when, when I read that the first time, it's like, ooh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, you know, in college, I didn't really find my tribe. I had to work a lot in order to pay off my tuition and you know, do, being a server 
isn't necessarily something that you're passionate about, depending on, you know, who the person is. But for me, it wasn't my passion. And I actually found myself really depressed. I felt like I wasn't doing enough to help the planet and that I wasn't doing enough. Even in my internships, I wasn't doing enough to satisfy my need to give back to the earth and give back to people. So I'm going to stop you there and just take a deep breath because you just summed up my entire life. <laughs> I get I get depressed, I get bummed out that I can't do more, and then I, you know, I put more on my plate to do more and it's just it's it's almost like it's never enough. Oh yeah, and and that anxiety can be crippling. Mm -hmm. But you have to find a way to turn that into fuel for your passion occupation and it can, you know, it, everything has to be a balance, but you have to channel that. And I think that in itself is the number one reason why our nation is the way that it is today, is that everyone's looking for what's most convenient and not prioritizing their behavior in a way that is beneficial to each other, to themselves and to the earth. And depression is a huge factor in in why our society's crippled Ugh, um, no kidding you know unfortunately yeah but to to take it to a positive light you know i was set up with feeling that i was powerless and that that giving up feeling made me instead feel that i needed to make a life change and when I hit that bottom, I went out and just started connecting with people on social media saying like, hey, do you want to hang out? People that I, I viewed as positive mm -hmm. and people that I saw were doing something right. And I found Caroline, who's my program manager now, and she was volunteering with Sleep Farming and said, we really could use your help. And I joined and realized this is it. This is what I needed. And I wow. poured myself into it. Yeah, I can feel the happy behind that for you. It was really important to me, and it was a life-changing shift. So is that your aha moment? That's not my aha moment, because, you know, I think when I started, there was, I mean, we had nothing. We didn't have money. We were working 40 hours, you know, a week doing other things. This was really just a weekend fun hobby for most of our volunteers. Mm -hmm. And we, I think my aha moment was when I was literally out on the farmlets that were just sugar sand at that point. We didn't have anything growing. It was the middle of summer. I started at the hottest time in Florida to try growing anything. And uh -uh. I realized, I said, you know, this could really be something, you know, if we got the right partners, if we got the right people behind us, this could really be my job. And filled with blisters on my hands and sunburn all over my face, I just realized this is the future. And even though, you know, none, none of the circumstances were lined up in a way where I, you know, should have known that, but I bet in that moment that this would be the life-changing thing for myself and for so many other people. So that aha moment came at a time when fleet farming in itself was at a rock bottom place. And you took it and ran with it and built your community because this is really a community project. It's not a you project, right? No, no, I could never do this on my own. No, it, it took sitting down with experts from, you know, farmers that had been retired that have done it their whole lives. You know, I just started Googling 
you know, what other, what other clubs are there at schools? What other farmers are there locally? And just asking to sit down and pry them with questions on soil quality. And, you know, I didn't grow up farming, you know, but uh-huh. I, especially not in Florida soil, but I asked the right questions to the right people and I was never afraid to ask for help. And so many people came out to test our soil with us for free or give their time or donate. And soon we had enough money coming in to support our salaries. And then before we knew it, we started hiring staff and we started getting donations of tools and, and, you know, people's time and interns. And before you know it, it was a a viable economic fully operational project happening Mm -hmm. in the community. Wow. You know, one of the things that I want to do a shout out to you about, and my listeners all know that I'm always looking for Epic. I, so far, we've been on about seven minutes and you keep shifting the conversation to positive. And one of the things that I have done for decades in my life is I always speak for and be for something rather than against something. And I see that that's where you go. Tell me about that. If you just say, you know, the odds are against me and you succumb to that, then you'll never be at your full potential. Honestly, Mm -hmm. there's so many kids my age that, you know, I'm in my twenties that are depressed and they literally do nothing about it. They just go to work, go to school, come home and watch Netflix. And yet they're all brilliant people that could be contributing to society in a really positive way. But because they already feel like they're at the bottom of this steep mountain that they can't even comprehend mentally how to get to the top. And that to me is also a definition for depression. If you look at it like a drag and you don't make it fun and you don't make it positive, then you'll never hit that full potential. You'll never get to the peak. Yeah. And I, one of the things I do every morning is I consciously make a choice to be happy. And I, you know, that really drives my life as well uh, into a positive place. Yeah, absolutely. If you do that, you will find yourself in a better state of mind, but it's not always easy for everyone. Yeah. I know I've suffered a little bit of depression in the past and it's not, it's not fun. And it takes, it takes a lot of energy to climb out sometimes. Mm-hmm. And strategically, you know, we, we are very much trying to communicate our message through social media. You know, I've never been a fan of social media, but I realized that by putting kids and families and millennials in our pictures, smiling, having fun. It's this, it's destigmatizing gardening as a, or farming as a hard, high investment, low return occupation. It's, mm-hmm. it's showing it as a fun, active and healthy project in your community. Cool. So let's jump in and talk about fleet farming. Uh, is this just about growing stuff in somebody's yard? No way. It's so much more. And I'm glad that people who see it from the outside think it looks very simple, but at the same time, deep rooted into the program. It's so it's healing so many different parts of what's wrong with our society. So, for example, you know, neighbors are starting to get to know each other and come outside and interact more 
which is making community the community safer and it is getting you know people to have a relationship with the earth and getting interns to have experience in new ways that they otherwise maybe might not have had that opportunity and so there's so many other levels i think it all depends on who you are and what your biggest motivation is you know i know a lot of chefs that are just so excited to have the healthiest freshest produce at their fingertips by working with local farmers and so for them their passion occupation is cooking really amazing food and having the ability to get something super fresh and hyper local is a treat for them you know it just keeps going you know for for my staff they're so excited to come to work they always come in early stay late they're excited to be a part of this team because we feel like heroes locally mm -hmm. it's just a really good feeling every day and in, in every aspect of of the program so i'm walking up to your office and you're in orlando right yes so i walk up to your office and i come in and i want to volunteer i have no idea what you guys do, except I know that you grow food. What does your process and system look like? What's, what is fleet farming? Oh, well, we have a lot going on. Um, so we do, we have two offices. We have one in East Orlando and West Orlando. So we have one in a predominantly middle to upper income level community called Audubon Park. That's where fleet farming started. And then we have one now, thanks to the USDA, who granted us $50,000 to bring this initiative into a low-income food desert community in West Orlando. We now have an office here. So they're only about 10 minutes away from each other. But, you know, right down the middle is a huge highway that gentrified and segregated this community back, you know, during the redlining days. So we're really trying to show that this can help two different types of communities in different ways. And so we host these free community events called Swarm Rides, where, you know, our farmers that we employ are out there farming every day, but we open it up to the community during just a couple days out of the month so that people don't get, you know, oversaturated with the, uh, with options. We uh -huh. want to concentrate our efforts. So every second and fourth Sunday, we have volunteers come out in Audubon Park. And then every Friday, we have volunteers come out in West Orlando. And it's really great. You just show up. You can bring a bike if you want. Um, but most of our farmlets are within a mile. So you, some people jog, some people skateboard. And we bring all the tools. We have all the tools, all the gloves, everything you need. And really, it's a, for me, I believe that our swarms are not, people say, oh, you get free labor. No way. <laughs> you know, most people don't, don't know what they're doing, so they usually make more work for us. So it's not, you know, if they overseed <laughs> or if they, oh, they yes. overharvest. Yep. You know, so... Or they break tools, you know, or lose tools. I mean, it's it's an expense for sure. But what it really is, is it's giving somebody a hands-on experience and a garden guidance counselor, basically, right there, open to the public for free, an expert who's doing this every single day for you to ask your questions and say, I want to do this at home. How can I do this? And for free, there is a there is somebody in the community giving out this information, looking at your pictures on your cell phone and saying like, oh, there's too much light there. There's too little sunlight. You need to move this here. And by the end of the experience, we're hoping that this would be a billboard 
to the community so that people can learn and then go home and be inspired enough to try to recreate this at their own home. Wow. That's the end mission. Yeah. Wow. So you're actually taking people's front and backyards though, and converting lawns into gardens. And that's where these swarms, I think you use that term swarms. That's where these swarms end up to learn and to help grow things. Yes. We also converted, we inherited a, a converted empty lot in West Orlando as well. So we don't just do front and back lawns. We also have a quarter acre lot that we completely reinvigorated into a farm. And we also have some gardens at community centers and local churches. So it's basically any underutilized land that would otherwise be just grass and lawns, we have transformed. Another very important key part about this is that we had to create another revenue stream in order to support the program. We have mm -hmm. a few different revenue streams that we have, but because our nation undervalues produce so much, you know, there's no way lettuce should cost $2. Like somebody is literally breaking their back for that food. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the cost because they're making inhumane wages. So since our nation does not value food at the, the price that it should cost, it affects even urban farmers that are trying to sell food at the right price point because people think that healthy food is too expensive. But if you pay a bunch of money for prescription pills, you might as well pay a lot of money for really good food that's going to be pre preventative of certain diseases, right? Right. So that's the dream. So fleet farming had to create different revenue streams in order to support our farmers. So what we do now are garden installations called an edible landscape service. Oh, where nice. now we actually, yeah, we build gardens for hospitals, assisted living facilities, schools, and we also have education projects where we will actually come out and teach a garden class. So literally before this call, I was sitting in front of a room full of sixth graders, teaching them how to properly harvest their vegetables. Nice. So how has your fleet farming concept and project spread in your community? It is spread like wildfire. We have about 30 farmlets right now that we're overseeing with four full-time farmers. Wow. And we, yeah, it's really great. We have about 80 interns each semester. Seriously? Yeah. That is huge. Yes. And we love our interns. So every, you know, every semester we make sure that they leave with a headshot that we do in house and a letter of recommendation for them to be able to, you know, move on to the next thing and have the ability to get ahead with a good letter of recommendation and headshot. So. Oh, nice. That That's a really sweet thing to do for them, isn't it? It is because, you know, we couldn't do it without them. I would say that's our juice. I get a lot of farmers that ask, you know, how do you do it? Because the odds are really against you. Summer heat, the really poor quality soil in Florida already, and then we're doing it near buildings where the building was, you know, the foundation was built on like filler dirt that mm. has no nutritional value at all for the plants. And then you have extreme heat that's bouncing and reflecting off of the uh, houses. So, the odds are really against us. We couldn't really do it without our interns. And then by bringing in fresh new ideas every single semester, you're inviting those who really want to go above and beyond to have 
equity in what we are doing. And so I've only hired for my intern pool because I've only hired those that have the fire in their eyes and uh-huh. they want to make this just like me. They want to make this their future. Yeah. And when you give somebody like that a little bit, they'll run with it and really invest in the program. That's the people we're looking for. So to all of our listeners, everybody listening out there, that's the passion and fire that I want you to take into your next project, because that's the kind of, of energy that changes the world, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is your biggest marketing, too. You know, you're, you know a lot of people trust, are just trying to get the word out. Mm-hmm. And we have... You know, if we give our interns and our volunteers an amazing experience, we have the ability to market Fleet Farming's heart and our brand, and it goes viral because people start to talk about it. They're proud of it. They're happy that they had a moment that they got to share with us, and they go out and through word of mouth, they are our biggest advocates Mm -hmm. in the community. Yeah. Well, and then they're also sharing on social media, and that gets you more glue there as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want you to think back at all of your interns. Is there one person that stands out that when you look at their experience there and think about why you're doing what you're doing, it's like, yes, that's the reason I do what I do. Do you have one of those for me? Oh, goodness. Specifically an intern? Sure. Or or a community member. Because I, mean, I know you're dealing with interns and you're dealing with the community. Oh, yeah. It, I feel like it happens a little bit every day. But I would say I remember being so tired and so hot and just being so overwhelmed in the heat of the moment. And then I turn and look across the street to one of my homeowners that had a little two-year-old son. And she was FaceTiming with her mom and bringing her from plant to plant with her little son. And the son was pointing out what the veggies were. And he picked a little tomato and ate it. And I remember just crying in my car thinking, like, this is why I'm doing this. Because that little boy never would have had that moment, you know, showing his grandma what a tomato is and that he can pick it and understand that that was a seed at one point, like... We're, we're, we're giving these kids an opportunity, these families an opportunity to have that relationship with yep. the bugs and the dirt and the plants. For an adult, I had a homeowner that really wanted a garden because he wanted to, like, be cool. Uh-huh. You know, he was like, it fits with my brand. You know, I, I bike to work and I, you know, he kept thinking like, you know, it fits with my sustainable initiatives that I'm doing for myself. And he also wanted to give the farmlet to his wife as like a gift because she likes to juice or something. So uh-huh. it was very much for them. And I told him, you know, look around, look at these lawns. Do you see any bugs? Do you see any animals? Like where do all of the animals go? And he, for that moment, said, I've never noticed that, how silent and sterile everything is. And I said, when you have this farm, you're going to see butterflies and bees and so much more here that's going to give you that relationship. And he came out every day just so excited <laughs> to see what bugs are in the garden. Nice. Great. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that first one, you had me on that one. The one about the two-year-old, I was, I was tearing up and that exactly, that's why we do what we do. So, wow. Good for you. So what do you see for the future of fleet farming? 
Well, I'm really trying to, to take it slow and invest time, energy, and money in getting our methods down. Because at this point, we, you know, I know you're, you're going to segue into this, but we've had a lot of failures and we're still trying to figure it out, the proper model. And so for the future, I see us having a much better system down to impact the most people because we've had so many bumps along the way that I think need improving, especially, for example, some of our homeowners, they don't even eat the produce. They literally do not walk outside and harvest. It is 100% theirs. They are more than, well, we do not monitor how much they take. It's open to people driving by, and yet they see us more so as like a lawn service or something yeah. where we're just, we're just counter. Wow. We're just, yeah, we're just basically taking away their responsibility of mowing their grass, and so they're happy. All right. Well, that's a place to start. I'm a little aghast at that the, that's the possibility. But when I think about it, though, it kind of makes sense because that speaks to, sorry if I'm offending anybody, our laziness. Yeah. Wow. And, um, you know, it definitely laziness is has its own negative connotation, but mm -hmm. it really is just a culture. It yeah. is a, a pattern of behavior from just going to your one-stop shop grocery store where you can pick up paper for your kids, you can pick up pencils and pens and stationery and magazines and your groceries, you know, and it's all right there. So the convenience of that, it's really hard to beat. But you know, we do have others that are really invested and they, they love going out. You know, they eat out of their yard every day. They love it. So just trying to find ways around that has been a struggle, but we're finding that there are certain ways to go about around that, like giving a keychain to all of our homeowners so that when they go to the farmer's market, they can get free produce that's already washed, prepped, and ready to eat. So hopefully at least they would go to their community market that's less than a mile away uh -huh. and take the produce that's like prepped for them so that they they don't have to be too scared to do the harvesting themselves because it could be linked to fear of not, of like hurting the plant or not understanding what they're doing right. enough to feel confident. So we're just trying to figure out a way to increase the convenience level, but still give them options to come out and learn, you know, and yeah. ask questions. So that's where your swarm rides come in to get people educated. Yes, yes. And we want to do more workshops and more, you know, hands-on experiences for our homeowners and for the people in the community to be a part of it. People really like classes, so we're hoping to have the time and energy to be able to do that every every month. But, you know, you're still going to have your flaws in any any organization. You have your, your problems. Um, you just have to find a way to fix it every year and get a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. So how can our listeners get involved in fleet farming? What can we do? Well, I hope that, A, they come to Orlando and join a swarm ride and, you know, it's completely for free and they, you know, can be a part of that. But if not, I would love to receive questions or comments, you know, from visiting our website, fleetfarming.org. And if anything, my dream would be that people would be inspired by this and would go home and literally try to put dirt in the, like 
dirt in a raised bed or on top of the ground so that they build a little plot and then they literally try to grow vegetables for the first time. Just mm-hmm. just try it. Even if you kill it, that's okay. It, every day and every experience is and it's a scientific scientific experiment. Amen. So I'm hoping that yeah, I'm hoping that people won't get so discouraged after trying something one time that they would know that they need to keep it up and be inspired to like create a movement like this in their own community. And that's how movements get created. Somebody like, somebody like Lee says, I'm going to do this and look what you did. High five to you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it. I was saying before, I feel like we make failures, like little failures every single day. And I definitely know that when coming into a gentrified community, you know, I've learned a lot on how a new organization is perceived when all these other new organizations are coming in trying to quote unquote fix the community or offer services that they think the community needs. But if you're not invited into a community, then it's really difficult to gain that trust from residents. You know, we were kind of disappointed this year. This was the first year that we started in West Orlando, and we were hosting a bunch of events and going door-to-door, passing out flyers and everything like that. And it was really hard because we never had a solid turnout rate, and we never had investment built in this community the same way we did in Audubon Park, where people travel, you know, sometimes an hour just to come to our swarms, or, you know, more people in the community are invested in it. But here in West Orlando, we wanted to make an impact and have it be positive. But right off the get-go, a lot of people didn't trust us, you know, because we're a new organization coming in. And, right. and it, people don't like handouts and they don't like to feel that they are below you. And so that's why you're offering them something for free, you know. Uh-huh. So having to learn how to go around that and be culturally sensitive and to, to figure out the right way to engage people has been a challenge, and yet we're still trying to shift the way we're doing things. So, for example, now we are concentrating our funding and our our time and resources in local school gardens that we oversee for free. So it's like we offer after-school programs so that we're working with hand-in-hand with the kids because mm-hmm. what do kids do? They go home and they tell mommy and daddy, like, this is something cool that I did at school today. So that's how we've been, you know, focusing more so than on the swarms that are just open to the community. We do still have three volunteering days at one of our plots that's just open to the community. But, you know, I think engaging the kids will be this year's focus and will really help leave behind a, an impact in the community, even though I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. I really <laughs> hope to hire from within the community and have this be an, a, a career choice for residents in this side of town. Nice. Nice. Good work on that. So what do you consider your biggest success? Our biggest success, I think, is just the ability to build a culture around transforming underutilized lawns. I don't know how much I get to take credit for with sleep farming because I feel like the culture here in Orlando really shifted unanimously because of a 
because of a land ordinance. It was a landscaping ordinance that passed the same year that fleet farming got started because before no one was allowed to transform their lawn into an edible garden, but they changed some landscaping ordinances around to allow 60% of a front or back lawn to be transformed into edible edible landscaping. Wow, so that's, that's why that's forward thinking. <laughs> so now there's been about three or four other urban agriculture programs that have been started around the same time, and I hope that that culture keeps going. I think the most success we've had is the ability to heighten and facilitate that that culture so that people are more aware and they're trying to get on the bandwagon and see that this is going on in their community, well, I'm going to try to do this in my yard and be inspired by that. So what I hear you saying is you consider your biggest success the outreach and the cultural change that's happening because of your program. Yeah, I feel that nice. people are are proud to be a part of Orlando, and part of that pride is because of fleet farming and the urban agriculture movement that's happening here. Wow. Well, you know, it's it's unique. There's not a whole lot of programs like this around the country. Yeah, it's really cool to me that, that we're spearheading this style of farming, but at the same time, it also is disheartening because to me, I feel like it's so easy. I mean, it's hard, you know, but it's easy. It's easier than cutting grass, you know, like you're, you're spending a day out of your week mowing. I just don't understand how, why not invest that time into something that will give you a return from a business standpoint, you're spending gas and time and labor in doing something that's not good for anything. It's not even really a good habitat for bugs. Uh-huh. And yet you could easily have a cold garden there. <laughs> it's a little bit more work, but you're, yeah. you're cutting your grocery store bill. So what drives you? That feeling of it never being enough. And that I would love to have the entire city converted. I would say, though, food is not. I love people. I love food. Fresh produce is awesome. But I would say my driving force, the thing that I think about incessantly every single second of the day are the animals, like the ecology around our city. It's just the, everything is being overdeveloped here in central Florida. Mm-hmm. The animals don't have anywhere to go. And I'm hoping that sweet farming, yes, we're growing food, right? So people correlate food with themselves. But underneath that is a sense of awareness of how we treat the planet. So I'm hoping that this will wake people up enough to realize that, oh, I need to be a good steward to the planet, not just for myself, so I don't just get a return on what I'm putting in my body in terms of like fresh produce, but I also need to think about the bees now, and now I need to think about the birds, and now I need to think about the ecology and care enough to create habitat and definitely happening right now. There's a huge shift where people are investing mm-hmm. money in bee boxes and, you know, permaculture style food forests that will create habitats for the bugs and the animals. I've seen that. So I've been at this for a few decades and just in the past six or eight years, there's been a, a growth of this process in people's interests. It's been really cool to watch. 
Good job. Thank you. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Very cliche, but don't give up because it's, man, I I sometimes wonder how did we get here? And I think it's because we were all very resilient to all the problems that came along the way. We still faced so many problems, so many challenges. And if we would have just said, well, let's just keep things the way they are. And we never tried to optimize every single part of our program. Then we wouldn't be known internationally. You know, we wouldn't have 200 people a day looking at our website. We wouldn't have 80 interns even willing to come out and be a part of this. We would have probably just a handful of people, if that, you know, doing their jobs and being in a routine. And I don't like routines. I I don't like routines. I want to make everything better and more impactful. So don't give up and know that death is a part of it because so many people give up when they kill a plant. If they have one poor experience where their, you know, shrub or their kale plant died, they say, I don't have a green thumb. I can't keep anything alive. But with the right soil, you can literally grow anything. You know, you just have to have the right research and circumstances in order to be able to be successful. And giving up is never going to get you there. Right. Well, yeah, just be patient with yourself. That's what I tell people. Please. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Lee. Yeah, of course. Thank you. I really am appreciative of this opportunity. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can check out fleetfarming.org. I answer those emails with Caroline, our program manager, and definitely check out our social media at Fleet Farming on Instagram and engage in the posts and share things on Facebook. 
because we need that. You know, right now, social media is just flooded with negativity, and we try to bring a positive spin on how to be powerful in the fight against climate change. So definitely kind of interact with us on our online presence, and that would be a really great help. Awesome. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Lee Perry. Also, if you go to urbanfarm.org forward slash fleet farming, we have our episode 137 from September 29th, 2016 with Heather Grove, who was one of the people that uh, worked with fleet farming many years ago when you first started up. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere where podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.